My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Kathleen Pye. In 1988, after years of intense struggle by feminists and allies, the Supreme Court of Canada struck down the provision in the criminal code that restricted access to abortion. Further mobilizing by feminists meant that the federal government of the day did not attempt to pass a new law on the subject, and it remains completely decriminalized to this day. However, formal legal access is not the same as substantive actual access, and through things like decisions about when and how to fund the procedure, both federal and provincial governments still exert various kinds of control in practice over the ability of women, as well as people who are gendered in other ways and who are capable of becoming pregnant, to govern their own bodies. Among the most restrictive jurisdictions in the country has, for many years, been New Brunswick. Restrictive because of provincial regulations that place greater burdens on people needing the procedure than most other places, because of a very limited number of locations to get the procedure, and because of a broader culture that has been less supportive of the right to choose than some other parts of the country. One response to these barriers in the early 1990s was the opening of a private clinic in Fredericton by legendary pro-choice doctor Henry Morgenthaler. Despite a refusal by the provincial government to fund the procedure at the clinic, and despite a very precarious business model for operating the clinic that was always understood as not really being sustainable, the clinic lasted for around two decades. It was only after Morgenthaler's death that his estate reluctantly decided in the first half of 2014 that the clinic had to be closed. Though this decision was a blow to those concerned with reproductive health and reproductive justice in the province, it proved to be a spur to action. Kathleen Pye is an activist with the group that coalesced in response, eventually under the name Reproductive Justice New Brunswick, or RJNB. They've been hard at work mobilizing supporters and lobbying politicians to get rid of the restrictive regulations, as well as putting together plans for a new clinic to help meet women's needs in the interim. I spoke with Pye a few days before the September 22nd provincial election in New Brunswick. Many of RJNB's efforts had been focused on getting abortion access onto the campaign agenda, and they and their allies succeeded in doing this like never before. The incumbent conservatives were staunchly against making any changes. The NDP and Greens were in favor of repealing the regulation completely, and the Liberals were making pro-choice noises, but were being cagey about exactly what they would do. Plus, it was an incredibly close race, and you'll hear Pai express several times her uncertainty about what exactly would happen and what it might mean. In the end, the Liberals won a majority and have already begun to take action on the access question, though the details remain unclear. In the interview, Pai talks about the kinds of restrictions that exist in New Brunswick, about the intense scramble of activity by feminists since the closure of the clinic, and about their striking success in advancing the cause of women's right to health care and reproductive justice in New Brunswick. We spoke by Skype to phone from Fredericton. My name is Kathleen Pye. We're a coalition in New Brunswick, Reproductive Justice New Brunswick, right now based out of Fredericton. In terms of my position, currently I'm a member 
and we're kind of in a transition phase, so things are getting interesting. Provinces get to make decisions about what their health systems are going to look like. Where abortion comes into play, originally we had a federal law, Supreme Court threw it out, said it was unconstitutional, we're not doing this anymore, and has mandated that access be something that is Canada-wide. The problem is that when it comes to medical services payment acts within each province, the provinces get to decide what that looks like. And as a result, they're able to slip things in here and there and cause those barriers, which is the case in New Brunswick. The Morgan Teller Clinic was a private abortion clinic in downtown Fredericton. It was the only private clinic in the maritime provinces. It had opened in 1993, I believe, and closed in the second week in April this year. And essentially, the reason it got there was because Henry Morgenthaler noticed that there was a huge, huge gap in the Maritimes. Unfortunately, access has been harder here. We know with Prince Edward Island, no procedures can be done there. People often have to travel off the island to get a procedure as well. Nova Scotia, they do have access in the hospital, but it's not as good as it should be. Obviously, people from around the province have to travel, and it makes it really difficult. In terms of New Brunswick, we had a particularly difficult situation. Essentially, once the federal law was turned over, it kind of opened the door for access in the Maritimes. The government at the time stepped up and developed a regulation, that being Regulation 8420, I think it's like Schedule 2.A. The whole idea for the regulations that were put into place were about blocking access. What that essentially meant was in order to get access to abortion in a hospital, which meant it was covered through Medicare, People had to get two physicians to sign off on it. So you had to have two referrals, as well as be able to go to one of the hospitals in the province that allowed it. And back in the day, there were other hospitals that did provide that access. But as of right now, we're stuck to two. So one being Moncton, New Brunswick, and one being in Bathurst. What's surprising about that is the one area in the province which is very student-heavy, so in Fredericton, there was no access in the hospital. So a really big concern basically meaning that a lot of people would have to travel in order to get that access in the hospital. The other issue became that with that regulation, it meant that we had to rely on physicians that we had access to to provide that referral. And the problem that has occurred is we have a lot of very anti-choice physicians who aren't providing that. They're also not providing the referral to a name of another physician who potentially would provide a referral to the hospital, which they are supposed to do. And in a chronic issue we've always had in the province is lack of access to physicians. We know that there's approximately 60,000 New Brunswickers who don't have a family physician. So it's not as simple as, we'll just go to your regular family physician after a referral. You're lucky to have one, and even if you do, they may not be someone who will provide you that access. So the regulations set up that first barrier, you know, not only in terms of funding, so being able to get it funded has to go through the system, but the system itself is very obscure. Also, the procedure had to be done by an OBGYN, which is not the case in other areas of the country. So again, based on a limited number of OBGYNs, that becomes an issue. And the third issue, they would not cover the procedure in the clinic because it wasn't covered under this regulation. So really, all this put up a number of barriers so that people couldn't get the access that they needed. Luckily enough, I mean, Henry, although he came up with a lot of opposition, was able to open the clinic. And the Morgan Teller Clinic basically functioned as a place not only for people to come and have a procedure, but also to get information. We know that in the province, it's very difficult to get good sex education as well as understanding about contraceptions or even just to have a conversation about, you know, I'm in the position where I'm pregnant and I don't know what to do. Who can I talk to about that? So it was really a safe and judgment-free zone for people. 
the problem with the clinic is that the design was never ever sustainable from a long-term standpoint. The clinic was created to have uh, abortions one day a week. The rest of the time would be open to just general admin and that kind of stuff, people calling and whatnot, because we really just don't have the capacity within this province to hold a clinic every day a week when it's only abortions. So, you know, it always, I guess, is in the back of everyone's head that eventually this will be a downfall if the government doesn't step up and provide funding for the procedures. Also, in terms of the clinic, you know, people coming to the clinic did obviously have to pay out of pocket. So there were a number of people who, you know, throughout the years just can't afford that. And rightly so when you're expected to pay between $700 to $850 for a procedure on top of the fact that you may have to travel from different areas of New Brunswick and, and potentially into the Maritimes, as we know a fair amount of people from PEI would actually come to our clinic instead of going, say, to the hospital in Halifax. Henry had a rule that no one would be turned away, so he had a pro bono fund set aside to take care of those people who were just unable to pay. Obviously never advertised. So if you consider that cost, the cost of having to fund a clinic when trying to charge obviously the least amount of money as possible, not getting any government funding as well. Unfortunately, the building has had a number of floods, so there's costs associated with that. And, and on top of that, there was a legal battle that Henry got into with the government, which cost him a fair amount of money. It was just a financially draining endeavor. And eventually, when he did pass away just last year, it just got to a point where they were really unable to keep it afloat. The estate had to make a really difficult decision to close it, not one that anyone ever wanted to see happen, but sort of inevitable. And that's really why we're in the position that we are today. I want to get back to the founding of RJNB, but maybe before that, a more general question that in some ways is a tragic question to ask, because I think there was probably a generation of feminist activists that thought they would never have to address this again. But obviously, there's a renewed need for organizing now. So lay out why access is important in terms of justice and in terms of health. Every good research study that's ever been done has, has always come to the conclusion that when you don't have access, eventually individuals who require that access are going to get hurt. As much as the anti-choice movement wants us to believe that if we just got rid of abortions, it would go away, that's just not the case. When you get rid of abortions, when you say, okay, they're no longer allowed, they're not funded, they're not accessible, people will do anything that they have to do in order to find a way to not continue an unplanned pregnancy. That's just the reality of the situation. So in order to ensure safety for everybody involved, the most important thing you can do is ensure access. And access means having it readily available, ensuring that there aren't all of these barriers in the way that at any point could stop anyone from being able to have that access. And also that public funding, because again, oftentimes, unfortunately, it's the most vulnerable that are affected. And they're not in a position where they can shell out thousands of dollars. They're not in a position where they can travel several provinces in order to get this done. And they're the most at risk. And from a justice standpoint, it is up to us as a society to protect our most vulnerable, to ensure that we are doing the best that we can do so that everybody is safe equally. And we're really not doing that when we're taking away that access. From a health standpoint, Canada has a socialized medical system. That means that we all have access to health care. We all should have equal access to that health care. What essentially is happening you know, it's saying that when you live in the Maritimes, your health isn't nearly as important as it would be if you lived in BC, if you lived in Ontario, in areas where there are larger urban centers. It makes a lot of us in New Brunswick feel like we're second-class citizens in our own country. Not only has our federal government not stepped up for us, but our provincial government has just let us down, and they're letting us suffer. The longer this continues, the more likely it is that we are going to hear these horror stories of people going to 
various lengths in order to ensure that they don't have to carry a pregnancy that they do not want. And I'm sure it's already happening. I'm sure that we'll hear more of them. We know that many people throughout the years when the clinic was open really struggled to find a way to get into the clinic because there was that safety link, because no one was going to be left behind, something was done. But the problem becomes that now that clinic is gone. And as a result, that safety link is gone. And as much as, you know, us as activists can do to do our best for underground systems, to ensure people can get access to the places they need to go, inevitably it's just, it's not a long-term solution and people will get hurt. And it's really up to the province. So tell me how the group came to be. RJMB, it started right after the announcement of the clinic closing. In terms of how I first learned about the clinic closing, as a clinic escort at the time, we had a meeting and it was a really difficult thing to sit through to hear that, you know, it's closing and there's really nothing we can do about it. I think it was the next day there was the overall announcement and people from all over the country were just so, so devastated by hearing this and said, we need to help. We need to fix this. What do we do? Activists in this province are some of the bravest activists in Canada. They really worked hard in a really difficult climate for years. It's not been that they haven't been trying to do anything. It's that it's so difficult to speak out here. When everybody knows each other, when there's this high religious tension, it's just not a climate that's conducive to change. And I think when all of a sudden we found out that that one safety net was gone, it kind of got people fired back up again to say, okay, I feel like now we can do this. And we've got all these people from different parts of the country willing to help. How do we do this? So it really started with just conversations of, you know, how can we as a united front come together to do something? And what is it that we need to do? The first action was done by the Fredericton Youth Feminists, which are a great group of 15, 16, 17-year-old kids who said, you know, we really want to do something. This is awful. And we'd like to help. They put together an amazing first rally in front of the legislator. It got great press. It got great attention. It started people getting, again, fired up. And after that, we got together and said, okay, so what's the next step? And always kind of thinking ahead, knowing that, again, the election was this year. So we as a group decided we needed to come together. We needed to make it a bit more official, so to form a coalition of sorts, eventually coming up with a name. And it was a really difficult few meetings. It was really difficult sitting down and saying, okay, what's our focus? What's our mandate? Who's going to be doing what? When everybody is so fired up and they really want to do something. But we were able in May to get it off the floor, which, you know, in less than a month's time, I think is pretty impressive. At first, it was a really fly-by-night kind of thing. It's who do we have and what can we do and, and how much time in the day can we do it? The majority of us have full-time jobs. We work in the province. Some of us are able to be more vocal than others for safety reasons. And over time, thankfully, we've had some really great people come forward who've been able to put together more of a collective-based structure. So it's something that we're still smoothing out and definitely a work in progress, but it's working. And we tried to come up with as much action as we could do in that amount of time with what we had. And also based on the expertise we had, Thankfully, we have amazing people who have brought in a whole bunch of different skill sets that have been able to help us out. We have people from various age groups, various different backgrounds, people of all different gender fluidity, people who don't even live in New Brunswick. I mean, we've got people from all over Canada who are involved in in whatever capacity they can be. It's a really great, inclusive group. I guess that's our starting point. And and in terms of where we're going to end up, it's hard to say at this point. Tell me about the significance of the group and the group's name framing these issues in terms of reproductive justice compared to some of the other ways that these issues can be framed, where that term comes from, how it's reflected in what the group does. 
what's been really important about coming from this from a reproductive justice standpoint is really ensuring that inclusivity and ensuring that justice standpoint is there. And that's extremely important anywhere. I think it's especially important in New Brunswick where often I feel like that's missing. And also saying that to know that this isn't just about abortion. This is about a lot of things. And right now our focus is on abortion access. That's not to say it's always going to be there. There's always going to be something to change. We have a lot of changes that need to happen with reproductive health access in general in this province. Ensuring that the First Nations community has access they need to. I mean, we need to consider all of these facets. It's really important to come from a framework that allows that. At the beginning, you know, we were working very quickly. We felt that that was the way to go. It's not to say that you know everything was done perfectly or that we knew everything we needed to know moving into it. But over time, we're definitely we're, we're learning as we go. And I think we're fixing a lot of things that need to be fixed. And, I, and we're feeling definitely a lot better about things. Again, that's really important that we try to connect with all New Brunswickers because as much as this is a group that has been kind of formed out of Fredericton because the clinic was there, this isn't just a Fredericton problem. This is a New Brunswick problem. And it's important that we address everybody. And to do that, we need to ensure that we're including everybody in that conversation. And that's why that's really important. My impression is that one of the ways in which indigenous communities in other parts of North America have connected with reproductive justice organizing is around histories of forced sterilization. Is that something that your group has managed to connect with and begin wrestling with yet? Or is it the clinic closing is the initial focus and there's a hope to get to some of these things later? No, we, you know, we haven't addressed it. And I think that that's something that it bothers all of us that we haven't been able to. We've been under a lot of crisis pressure, knowing that, again, the clinic's closing. We need to ensure people have access. We have the election now. It's kind of been moving from one thing to the next. It's important that we are inclusive, but we haven't been able to do that, and, and we need to. So that's something that, moving forward, it's at the forefront. It's being as inclusive as we can be, being able to work with the collective and make it the best under the reproductive justice framework we can. And I'm hoping that once the election happens, we have an idea of what's going to happen over the next few years. And this is just a quick reminder to listeners that this interview was done a few days before the September 22nd provincial election in New Brunswick, in which the pro-choice but somewhat vague liberals were elected to a majority government. And I'm hoping that that crisis can calm down a little bit. We make movements on getting that access off and running as quickly as we can. We're able to kind of take a step back and do everything the right way. Right now, we've been doing everything in crisis mode. And, you know, I feel confident that we will get there. We're all very committed to it. It's important. Tell me about action. You said that the initial action was a rally in Fredericton. Paint me a picture of the trajectory since then. Like you said, the first thing was a rally that was put together by a great group of people. We were allowed in. It was successful. And then from there, it was about how do we keep momentum? What do we keep doing? We tried to reach out to media, and that wasn't working. So it's like, okay, so what do we do? How do we keep this moving? And a lot of it has been putting a lot of pressure, using social media, using the access we had at the time, trying to get pressure so that we could rally with governments. We could do lobbying work in order to ensure that they're hearing us, knowing there's an election coming. How do we make sure that abortion access is an election issue, knowing full well that nobody wants it to be there? Getting the word out, so getting information about what the problem is in this province, out not only within New Brunswick, because again, a lot of people in New Brunswick and within the Maritimes don't know, but nationally. Because we need that outside attention. The more of that national attention we have, the more of that, that, that unified support from a Canadian perspective is there, 
they can help speak for us too. And that's been a really important piece of it. So connecting with as many groups as we can, ensuring that we've got people in as many cities as we can to help us out. There's been a lot of rallies of support that have happened in other cities like Montreal, Halifax, Charlottetown, so keeping that moving. We planned for when the clinic was closing, so how do we address that? How do we address Morgan Tyler's um, the anniversary of his death? And really what's been great is when we decided to focus on access, we wondered, is it possible at all that we can help improve that access by trying to take the clinic that currently exists, but do it in a different way, do it in more of a long-term perspective, knowing that we can't have abortions every day, but we can have a comprehensive health clinic, see if we can find pro-choice physicians to be willing to come in to run a clinic as normal, but also include abortions in that. And starting that fundraising campaign to see, like, what if we just have the ability to try to obtain a lease so that we had some time to buy us that time? It's a Band-Aid solution. It's not the solution to everything. The repeal and moving forward with that is definitely the solution. But right now, what can we do? And when we started that, that created this whole national buzz where people were not only donating but talking. And this became a topic of conversation. And because it became a topic of conversation, the politicians started to listen. And they started to want to hear from us and find out what they could do and connect with us. And it kind of kept building from there. And again, it's been where do politicians sit in terms of abortion on their platforms? We know that the liberals have been more sticky with that. We have to push them further. We have to keep our presence known. As the election has popped up, we keep showing up at places, making sure that no one forgets that we're here, that this is an issue. And what's also been really great is things have sort of happened without us having to try. Once people start talking about this, Inevitably, the other side starts talking, and it brings even more more action into it. So we've had what may not be so much planned action as reactive action, but luckily it's worked. And through having that attention from the reactive action, we've been able to plan a little bit to do things the way that we needed to do them. And I think overall it's been really successful. But, I mean, it's also worked really well that this is an election year. We've had a lot of things that have worked to our advantage, but we've had a lot of really great dedicated people who are willing to keep showing up to things, who are willing to come up with new ideas, form committees. It's worked really well. In terms of exploring the possibilities of starting a new clinic, a new model of clinic, where is that at right now? Well, we're still in the process. We're working with the current owners of the clinic to figure out how this could work and, again, exploring for pro-choice physicians. And obviously, in terms of safety, we can't really talk too much about it until, you know, we have something where we feel more concrete, where it is a safe time, where the legal experts involved say, you know what, go ahead and you can talk. And it's really unfortunate that we can't be a bit more open about that. But again, the climate, the way things are currently occurring in the province, the anti-choice movement has really picked up. They're getting a bit more graphic. You know, that tone of violence is there. We're just, we're being a bit more careful with what we can and can't say right now. But things have moved really, really quickly. Things are great. We've got a lot of support. We're feeling really good about it. And hopefully very soon, we'll be in a position that we can finally tell people a little bit more about the progress we've been making. But until then, I mean, it's important that people know that we're, we're working really hard. There's a group of us who are really dedicated to that. And we're feeling really positive about it. How able has your group been to find allies in the community, not only in terms of other feminist groups, but in terms of groups that are situated in other movements or other sectors as well? It's been really amazing how many groups have been there for us. And many of them may not have been able to say that out loud due to, again, it's New Brunswick, it's the context of the environment, but we have a lot of people really reach out and say, you know what, we've got your back. Keep doing what you're doing. It's really wonderful. 
And that's so reassuring. And it's not even within the province, it's nationally. People saying, you know, we're here for you. If we can't provide any support action-wise, you can at least come to us and we can talk about it with you. We can keep that momentum going. It's really been amazing. And I think for me, one of the most amazing things is that the number of people across the country who have reached out by sending cards, sending emails, you know, some people have donated. Those who can't have said, you know, oh, I'm here for you. Thank you. Keep going. You're doing great. That's been in itself just the most powerful thing. And it's really helped us in what's been a really difficult few months here. Put the work that your group is doing and the struggle that your group is facing at the moment in a larger context in terms of where feminist organizing is more generally in Canada. Well, I think what this has done is it's kind of reaffirmed how feminist organizing can make a difference. If we think about it in media, using the word feminist as a four-letter word, it's still seen as this, this thing. And I think that's starting to change, which is great, and, and it's really about time. But we haven't seen the same level of organizing, you know, as much as we used to. And what this has done is reaffirmed it can be done. And I think it's important to really hit that home to people that organizing can work. It's very difficult. It's extremely time-consuming, so I don't want anyone to think it's an easy thing to do, but I think it's definitely effective. And what has made it that much easier is being able to really rely on social media to help with that. It really is effective. It can bring in a national perspective to bring people from all different parts of the country who can help with things. It brings that connection. It gets word out. You may not have any money, but you have social media and people pay attention. It's really helped. Tell me a bit more broadly about the interactions that you've had with youth around this issue and, and youth engagement with your group and with the issue as a whole. It's been amazing. The Fredericton Youth Feminists, I think they've been together for maybe just over a year now. And they're a group of really concerned high school students who wanted to get together and just be able to have conversations with various different things that affect them from a feminist viewpoint and also, you know, non-oppressive viewpoint. And when all of this started, they were the ones that came forward and said, you know, we're angry, this affects us, and they felt the need to do something and stepped forward. When we think about this generation, we don't think about people that are engaged or that want to step out and, and, and really speak up, and they have, and they've done it, and they've done it really well. And it's really brought back this whole idea that, you know, young people do care, and they may not have the voice that they deserve to be able to speak up about these things, but when they do, watch out. I mean, we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for them. And it's been a really great connection to be able to work with them. It's definitely challenging at times because, you know, we, we see things in one way and they come in and say, hey, you know what, you need to see it from this perspective. And, and most of the time they're right. But it's been great. They bring in an energy. They bring in a whole different viewpoint of the issue that we need to consider. You have been listening to my interview with Kathleen Pye of Reproductive Justice New Brunswick. We spoke a few days before the recent provincial election in that province, in which a new Liberal government open to changing New Brunswick's restrictive regulations around access to abortion was elected. The issue's prominence in the campaign was due in large part to the hard work by RJNB and allies to make it so. To find out more about their work, go to rjnb.org. That's rjnb.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Prince, 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 Prince,